0: This is That's in the
1: That's in the Bible, episode number 78 The Essence of Worship.
0: Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now that at Humbling your hearts to God. Chastening rod Seek the way Pilgrims Trod Christians away Jesus
1: is Hello God and welcome is back to That's in the Bible My name's Eric I'm glad you could join us today We've got a full house here at That's in the Bible Probably the most people that we've ever had here before And uh, so we're going to go around the room here And just And I say room But we're actually scattered all across the country Um I'm going to introduce Pastor Strobel first. Pastor Strobel, how are you today? And of course, I had it muted. Pastor Strobel, try again.
2: <laughs> um, I, I'm, I was not muted. We heard you.
1: You heard me, but I had you muted, so the, the, oh, listeners, did. the listeners didn't hear you.
2: Okay. Well, I'm still doing good.
1: <laughs> oh, Greg, And you're from beautiful, sunny downtown Lockport, New York.
2: Yeah, yeah. Not this afternoon. Uh, afternoon was uh, beautiful, snowy downtown Lockport for a moment.
1: Guys, okay, a little snow.
2: Yeah, yeah. But uh, the sun did come out, and we still don't. We don't see much left of that. Speaking Just of the residual from before,
1: and speaking of snow, Matthew, how's the weather there in Alaska?
3: Well, I was doing good today. We uh, we've been having storm after storm. We were supposed to have the weathermen said it was supposed to be a beautiful day yesterday for church. And uh, of course, right when church was about to start and go and pick people up in the church van, uh, we got another storm. So uh, it's just been one after another. But uh, today it's doing good so far. So praise the Lord for that.
1: Well, I got to, you sent that picture. Right? Was it on Instagram or something? I saw that picture of you standing out in front of your house. And how high is that snow?
3: yeah it goes up to almost the roof of my house which my house is on you know my house is pretty high so i would say in the highest point's about uh 13 to 15 feet high
1: that's wow. that's insane and the
3: issue is is it's it's just compacted i mean it was i had to chop it up first so it's like bricks of snow you know <laughs> and there's nowhere to put it we, we've asked them to bring the loader and to um try and get rid of the snow but uh for some reason, I don't know if it's because they don't like us or maybe I'm just uh, paranoid, but it's been three weeks. We've asked them to plow our driveway and they just haven't done it. They do everybody around us, but not us. So <laughs> so it's all me by hand.
1: Wow. That's, that's a workout. I will see, yeah. see people pay for those kind of workouts. You get it for free there in Alaska. <laughs> yeah. It's that's
4: right. right.
1: And speaking of working out, Steve, how are you working out?
4: <laughs> I'm doing fine. Uh, getting ready to retire from my day job and wow. uh, go full time into the ministry and and uh, get out in the streets and and so forth and try to reach uh, South Buffalo for for Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, just uh, you know, with a small work and so forth, we've. Uh, anytime you have a visitor, it's or visitors, it's uh, kind of a, a neat thing, and and so we've had some here over the last few weeks, and uh, been kind of exciting. So uh, we appreciate the Lord what He's doing for us, and uh, hopefully trying to be faithful and just keep working for Him and and uh, being faithful at it. So praise Amen. the
1: Lord. Amen, and so those are the three regulars. It's usually myself, it's usually Pastor uh, Strobel, Pastor Bear, and uh, Matthew, up the missionary to Alaska. But we've also got two other guests with us today, and in studio with me is Brother Greg Denz. Greg Denz, what's your your official title?
5: Um, I'm an assistant pastor at the Bible Baptist Fellowship in
1: Alpine, New York which is where I go to church now since we've moved here, and I've roped yet another person to be on the podcast. But thanks thanks for joining us.
3: Oh, you're welcome. I'm very glad to be here, just to uh, sit in on the podcast and listen
2: in, and it's been encouraging. I've listened to approximately half a dozen podcasts, and I've really enjoyed them. So thanks for inviting me. Glad
1: to have you. And you wear a lot of hats at church. You're always faithful. You're a man that's Working behind the scenes, doing something yeah. all the time. Yeah, so.
3: just trying to stay busy for the Lord
1: Jesus Christ. Amen. It's good to have you. Amen. And last but certainly not least, uh, joining us from well, exactly where are you? Uh, can I, what, what should I call you, Joel Brown, Doctor Brown? What would you prefer? You can call me Hey You, <laughs> uh,
6: or whatever you, whatever you like. Joel's fine.
1: Joel's going to fit right in with us, isn't he? And. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I called you Dr. Brown because actually you, you, you do have a PhD in, in, well, you explain what you have.
6: So, yeah, that's this is how I know Eric. I uh, ran into him in upstate New York where I was working on my PhD at, um, in genetics, and uh, we I went to Bible Baptist Fellowship where Brother Dens was the assistant there and Pastor Bruce Varner's the um, head pastor. And I ran into Eric there at that church. Um, This was, uh, I was up in New York for about six years. And then um, last August, myself and my wife and our our kids, we moved here to St. Louis, Missouri um, to continue work in in the sciences where I'm at. Um, So we've been here in St. Louis, and that's where I'm uh, hailing from. And this is, um, like I said, we've been here about six months sound like the police were
1: coming to your door
6: <laughs> that, that's common sounds here in the uh, city
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right well, we'll understand if you have to go suddenly But I'm, I'm glad you could join us and and we talked before and you talked about um you'll be joining us again hopefully in the future lord willing that you'll be able to do something uh on evolution
6: yeah i would love the opportunity it's uh, it's one of my uh, favorite hobby topics and when you talk about uh, biblical topics and the issue of origins and where did we come from. Yeah. Right
1: mm-hmm. Amen. Now, am I, am I allowed to bring up uh, your experience in Florida?
6: Which experience are you referring to? <laughs>
1: uh, Dr. Dino.
6: Oh, oh, sure, sure.
1: So could you tell us a little bit about that?
6: Yeah, I mean, this, was, this is now we're talking... Uh, you know, 10, 11 years ago, uh, which to me, that's still a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so I worked, we lived in Pensacola, Florida. This was in my high school years and into my college years. And I had the opportunity to work with Dr. Kent Hovind at his uh, world famous dinosaur adventure land. And it was a blast. I mean, those mm-hmm. were some of my most memorable years of my life.
1: Amen. And you did a great, um, you did a great lesson. It was during Sunday school on evolution that uh, I, and I know we had a lot of visuals at the time, but uh, we're hoping we can, you know, have some of that. And I think I think it's going to translate pretty well. We also can put up on the website too any PDFs or you know anything any visual aids you want people to have too that they could download too.
6: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, there's it's going to work out one way or the other. Um, it's a very compelling subject, even if you just are listening to it. So,
1: I have a friend of mine who I've went to high school with, which was quite a few years ago, and he's actually just retired from. He's got a PhD in uh, electrical engineering, and he taught at the University of Alabama at Tuscaloosa. His name's Bob, and I mentioned to him to you before because uh, when I would talk with him, he his thinking of Christianity and the Bible and what the Bible has to say is that it's, well, it's not really for educated people. And I said, well, I don't think that's true, Bob. Well, there's a lot of scientific science in the Bible that was way ahead of its time that we've covered on some of the previous podcasts. But I also happen to know a fellow that uh, has got his PhD. He's a scientist and he's, you know, believes the Bible. He's a Bible believer. And he said to me, well, you can't be... Uh, can't be really in the, the sciences like biology or anything like that he's he's, he's got to be some way out thing and i said no it's it's in genetics he was like floored i still have <laughs> i still have to get him to come on here sometime and talk with us and uh but he was he was uh, amazed that there could be a uh, geneticist uh somebody that you know has your background that uh, believes the bible
6: And there are actually more out there than you realize. We're certainly a very small minority, but there are more than you realize. Uh, uh, They aren't always outspoken, and so you wouldn't know it um, unless you talk to them personally. Yeah.
1: Well, again, thanks everyone for joining us and giving up of your time to come and be on the podcast. It's great that you could do it. Uh, Last time we talked about we were giving away a King James Bible, and we, um, I think we didn't have enough callers last time, and I think I said, uh, call us back, even if you call 10 times, because we were taking the 10th caller, call us back and, uh, you know, you'll get the Bible. We had several people call, but we didn't reach that 10th caller until Greg Angel called from West Virginia, and he called 10 times in a row. And uh, left his name and message and and um, I'm gonna play that here I'm gonna play Greg's uh, Greg, Greg's response
5: Eric Greg Angel this is the tenth call for me so if I didn't win the Bible by now I'm not going to uh, if I did not win I just want you to know I really enjoy your the podcast you all put out um, the very um, Uplifting to me to hear hear the messages that you all teach on, and I uh, even use uh, some of those to look up references and, and add to some of my own uh, classes that I teach it uh, for the youth at our church. So uh, just very appreciative of the the work you all are doing. Um, if I did win the Bible, <laughs> I would love to have an inscription uh, in on the inside cover from each of you that are available. Um, would would mean a lot to me. So, and hopefully on your next podcast, you all won't be talking about the fool that called me times. Y'all have a good day. Bye.
1: Well, Greg, we would good never, awesome. we would never call you a fool. We, we thank, no, no, we, we thank no, you no, for no. for listening and joining us. And we're, it's good to hear that the podcast has been helpful to you and that you've been able to yeah. use some of the material there in West Virginia. And, uh, turns out he's not that far from where my dad actually grew up and was raised in West Virginia that's kind of neat so I'm going to get that Bible and um, I think I'd still like to send it to you Matt and have you sign off on it too and you could use we can use one of those boxes to send it up to you sure and then he'll have the inscription from from us on on the podcast
3: then it'll be worth a great amount of money (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: well i don't know how much money it's worth it's a good bible it's a it's an easy reading bible it's it's got the large print and then it uh i mean it's it's a good one it's the trinitarian bible society bible so i think it's pretty well done you're just saying that because i would have
3: called in 10 times if you let us
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're just saying that because you you want to get on steve's good graces that you that Uh, you I know you'd have my
3: father-in-law's signature. I mean, how much? You know, that's got to be worth a lot of money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So today we're talking about the essence of worship with uh,
2: Pastor Strobel.
1: Pastor Strobel, are you ready? Yes. We are going to head and get started here, and um, here we go.
2: Amen. Let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Father, I do thank you, Lord, once again for the chance for us to get together here on the podcast. I pray for your blessing upon the study today. Uh, Give me liberty as I speak. Uh, Give these that hear, Lord, open ears. And I pray you would instruct us uh, all in particular. Help us to learn these truths. And then, Lord, help us to apply them uh, as they apply in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The subject of worship is a prominent subject in both the Bible as well as the New Testament church uh, in the day and age in which we live. You take the Bible, considering all the forms of the word, uh, worship shows up 198 times in the scriptures. And the first time it shows up is in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, of course. And the last time it shows up is in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. And coincidentally, the first time it shows up is in Genesis chapter 22, while the last time it shows up is in Revelation chapter 22. And that last rever- reference to worship in Revelation 22, it leaves humanity with their marching order from the Lord regarding worship as it says this, uh, worship God, worship God. And that's what you and I and the rest of creation ought to be doing, worshiping God. And as Jesus Christ is God, uh, worshiping God includes worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We covered that in a recent uh, podcast on the deity of Christ. But while the Lord Jesus Christ was on earth, uh, he was worshiped. Uh, He was worshiped on this earth before his death, and he was also worshiped on this earth after his resurrection. Uh, After his birth, wise men journeyed from the east and came and worshiped him, the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, also verse 11. During his public ministry, uh, a leper came and worshipped him in Matthew eight and verse two. Uh, a blind man that Jesus healed worshipped him in John nine thirty eight. Uh, a ruler came and worshipped him in Matthew chapter nine and verse eighteen. And then there was the Canaanite woman whose daughter was grievously vexed with the devil, and she came and worshipped him in Matthew chapter fifteen, where you can read about it in verses twenty two through twenty five. Uh, after his resurrection, uh, there were women that came to the sepulcher. And, uh, they worshiped him when Jesus met up with them as they were heading back from the sepulcher to tell the disciples of his resurrection. And that's in Matthew 28 and verse number nine, uh, the disciples themselves worshiped him when they saw him in Matthew 28, verse 17. The disciples also worshiped him at his ascension. And that's in Luke chapter 24, verse 51 and 52. And let me say this. If you've got any sense, uh, you worship him today. And he is worshiped today by people all over this world. And he deserves the worship that he gets. Now in John chapter four and verse 23, Jesus spoke of the true worshipers who worship, he said, the father in spirit and in truth. And he spoke also how that the father seeketh such to worship him. And then in John four twenty-four, the next verse, he says that God must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. So with that in mind, it's possible to go through the motions of worship without actually worshiping the Lord. Um, And if you're not worshiping him in spirit and truth, you are not actually worshiping him. In Mark chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said, "Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And so as we approach today's lesson, let it be understood that the true worshipers will worship the Lord in accordance with his word. And any worship that's done outside the parameters of the word of God is a worship that's done in vain, whether that worship is done by heathen or by Christians, uh, that name, the name of Jesus Christ, their savior, Uh, they may be thinking they're worshiping or acting like they're worshiping without actually worshiping him. So you're going to worship the Lord. It's got to be done in spirit and in truth. And, uh, with that as a backdrop, I'm going to bring you a Bible study, uh, today on the essence of worship And this is not going to be an exhaustive treatment of the subject of worship, but rather what I'm going to attempt to do is to break down worship into its most rudimentary elements. And We're going to be doing this by examining some verses in 2 Kings chapter 17. And if you want to follow along, uh, you can uh, go there in your Bible. And before we get into the meat of the matter, I want to set the stage with uh, a little background on what leads up to those uh, verses that are going to give us some light on the subject. And at this time, uh, you'll notice that Israel's homeland included Samaria. Uh, you might also recall that uh, Ahab ruled Israel from Samaria when he was king. And you can check that out for yourself sometime if you'd like in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. But we can also see it here in uh, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse number one, where we see Samaria as Israel territory. And that says this. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hosea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria, over Israel nine years, so if he's reigning in Samaria over Israel, um, we can ascertain that uh, that is part of Israel uh, and Israel's territory at the time. Now uh, look at Second Kings seventeen two, where we're going to begin to discover details about what kind of king Ahaz was, and then the current state of God's people at this time. So verse number two, Second Kings seventeen, and he speaking of Ahaz from verse one. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. So, uh, this is a a song, if you will, that you hear uh, repeated many times in the uh, history of Israel's kings and Kings and Chronicles when you're reading about those kings. And too often you hear that uh, about a king that he was one that did evil in the sight of, of the Lord, did not do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And so did Ahaz, as the kings of Israel that were before him, uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Let's skip down to verse number five, where it says, then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria, uh, took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Halah, And in Habor by the river of Gozan and in the city of the Medes. And to just uh, punctuate that, go down to verse 22, where we're going to see their condition and we'll see this established again. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, they departed not from them. So not only was Ahaz doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but the children of Israel followed suit, doing evil that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, following after the sins of Jeroboam. And they did this, it says in verse 23, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So, Israel, so was Israel carried out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. So uh, back in verse number six, As well as in verse number 23, we read about uh, Israel being carried away into uh, Assyria. Uh, Again, verse number six, in the ninth year of Hosea, king of Assyria, took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria. Verse 23, so Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. And so, though we are more familiar, we tend to be more familiar with the Babylonian captivity which um, takes place a hundred and some years or so after this, uh, the children of Israel also endure this Assyrian captivity. And at this time, uh, what you discover is because of their sins, which we read about in verse number 22, second Kings 17, 22, because of their sins, because of their idolatry, God removed Israel from their homeland and he allowed them to be carried away captive by the Assyrians into Assyria. Now, Regarding their decrepit condition at the time, you can read more about it on your own in verses 7 through 21 here in Second Kings 17. For time's sake, I'm not going to read it, but it is a scathing indictment, and uh, it, it'll keep your attention as you read it. But in verse number 22, uh, we read about the sins of Jeroboam and, and just read about him as well. And those sins of Jeroboam, they had to do with two golden calves that he had set up for Israel to worship uh, back in the day. And then also of making priests of the lowest of the people, which are not of the sons of Levi. And that part beginning with the word priest, priests of those people, that's a quote from first Kings chapter 12, verse 31. That's what Jeroboam did. Um, the calves that are, are referenced, um, that I referenced are also referenced here in verse 16 in chapter, in second Kings 17, but you get more detail about it in first Kings chapter 12. So I'm going to read you that from first uh, Kings 12, 28, 29, and 30. And that says whereupon the King, and that's Jeroboam. Then whereupon the King took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now that sounds like a familiar tune as well. Almost like you're reading about uh, Aaron with the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 32. But uh, Jeroboam does them one better and makes uh, two golden calves. Verse 29, 1 Kings 12. And and he, again, Jeroboam, and he set the one, and that's the one golden calf. And he set the one in Bethel and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people who went to worship before the one even unto Dan. So that's back in 1 Kings 12 and all the way up in 2 Kings 17, uh, this bad way that was set up was still being followed. And the people were still worshiping these golden calves and following the sins of Jeroboam. And so back now in 2 Kings 17, we're going to read from verse 24. 2 Kings 17, 24. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon. So just remember what's happened. Okay, What's happened is... Israel's been carried away from Samaria, and now they're in Assyria. And this was done, of course, by uh, the king of Assyria, his direction. Verse 24, 2 Kings 17, 24, and the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sepharvim and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. So. At the time of this captivity, when the Lord saw that Israel was removed from uh, Samaria and the king of Assyria did so, the king of Assyria not only removed Israel from Samaria, but he took men from other nations and then put them in Samaria to occupy the land so that the land doesn't lay there desolate without anybody taking care of it, and, and it just becomes kind of a, a wasteland or a ghost town. He he puts other inhabitants in there. And so we read about uh, some of the people that he put in there in verse 24, now verse 25. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. So these people that come into Samaria, uh, they don't fear the Lord. They're, they're just heathen being transplanted, and they behave in this land like they did in their own. And so they feared not the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Wherefore, they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore, he hath sent lions among them. And behold, they slay them because they know not the manner of the God of the land. Well, you can take God's people out of the land and you can put heathen in the land but it's still God's land. And the Lord was not none too pleased with, the, uh, even though Israel had sinned and, and earned their exodus from um, Samaria at the time, God was none too pleased with the behavior of the heathen that now inhabited this land. And if he's going to kick his own people or judge his own people out, uh, from uh, their sins or uh, judge them because of their sins, then the heathen in, in the land going to get judged as well. And they do. And this happened, and the word is brought to the king of Assyria, as we read in verse number 26, and they explained to him what had happened, and they understood why it had happened. And so the king processes this information, and then he responds to them in verse 27. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the god of the land." so you really want to get what's going on here because of what had transpired this heathen king the king of assyria he sends a missionary back to the land to teach the heathen that he had planted there about the true god he takes one of the priests that had been uh, carried away captive and he, and he has them sent back to that land. And now he works actually as a missionary to teach the heathen that are inhabiting the land about the true God. So verse 28, it happens. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. And that's a pretty uh, wild situation. But that's what's going on. Well, he teaches them how they should fear the Lord. But, you know, uh, old habits die hard. And so we read this in verse 29. Howbeit every nation made gods. That's a small g god. Uh, Howbeit every nation uh, made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places, which the Samaritans had made every nation in their cities wherein they dwell. Uh, verse number 30. And the men of Babylon made uh, Sukkoth Benoth, the men of Cush made Nergal, the men of Hamath made Ashima. And the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Sep- Sepharvites burnt their children in fire to Adramalek and Anamalek, the gods of Sepharvim. So here they are making their own gods, uh, making their own idols, and then uh, leading their kids into these demonic type of uh, worship set- set- uh, set- setups here. And as we read in verse number 31, they were the Sepharvites were actually burning their children in the fire to, uh, these gods, uh, a and an the gods of Sepharvim. And so, so what a mess. And it's even after they got some good instruction from the Lord. And in, the, in the, the passage, as you go a little bit further, you're going to discover that these nations that had been brought into Samaria that had now been instructed in the ways of the Lord, they began to fear the Lord, but they also failed to forsake their own religious practices. So look down in verse 33, where it says, they feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. So, so they did fear God, but they were still serving their own gods. And as we read about now, they also, if we'll look now in verse 32, and and you're going to see that these people also wound up following some of Jeroboam's bad examples. At least uh, whether they knew they were or not, they were doing the same thing that he had, as it said in verse 32 of these heathen. Uh, So, and this is right after talking about them burning their children in the fire, it said, So they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. So like God's people, they too were following uh, a bad path, um, uh, a godless path. Um, a path that uh, was displeasing to the Lord. A path where uh, they did things their own way and took immoral, uh, lowest, the lowest of the type of uh, people, and uh, they made them the priests. They became their religious leaders, who the people who is supposed to be, from a human example, uh, a moral compass for the rest of the folks. All right, now verse thirty-four. Unto this day they do after their, the former manners. They fear not the Lord, neither do they after their statutes or after their ordinances or after the law and commandment, which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. So these folks aren't doing what the what the Lord had instructed God's people to do and what the priest had no doubt come and told them that they were supposed to do. So the heathen, again, the heathen are, are messing, messing up. Their old gods won out and their fear of the Lord that they had was short-lived. To tie this together, go down to verse 40. 2 Kings 17, 40, how be it? They did not hearken, but they did after their former manner. So these nations feared the Lord and served their graven images, both their children and their children's children, as did their fathers. So do they unto this day. So they they kind of like added the Lord, if anything, added him as one of their other gods um, on the same level as him. But, but really with the other gods being more in number, uh, they won out. And God's not going to be on the same level as any other uh, being, uh, or in this case, these, these false gods, these idols. He, god's God above all gods. He's a great God, and he's God above uh, all and is Lord of all. All right. So with that as the backdrop, this is what's going on as we prepare to look at two instructive verses in the passage, verses that speak of a, a covenant that God had made with Israel. And as we prepare to read about this covenant, uh, let me suggest that it'll be helpful to you if you just m- take a little bit of notes. And I'm I'm going to tell you how to do it. And it's not a big lot of stuff to do. But if you can kind of uh, write this out, uh, it'll help you to follow along and, and really get a good visual on what we're going to uh, show you. And and if you want to do that, uh, you can get something to write on, or maybe you'll do it with electronic media. However, it works out for you. But uh, I would have you make two column headings. And one near the left side and another near uh, the middle of the page to the right of that. And on the top of the one, the one column heading would be verse 35. And the other column heading uh, would be verse 36. Or if you want to put the full reference, Second Kings 1735 and 2 Kings 7, 1736. And now we're going to read what those verses um, say in in just a, a few moments. But in our King James Bible, before we get there, the Lord, he'll often define words by using replacement or substitution. I'll give you some examples of that. Um, In in Psalm 2 and Acts 4.26, the Lord gives us a definition of a word by by giving us a little variation when he quotes the Old Testament verse in the New Testament. So I'm going to read you both of those verses. Psalm 2, verse 2 the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, All right? Listen for a, a word changed and uh, see if you, if you notice it. Acts 4.26, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Well, the important one that I notice here is instead of saying against his anointed in Psalm 2, verse number 2, Acts 4.26 says, and against his Christ. You may have often heard somebody expounding the scriptures and telling you that um, Christ means anointed. And in fact, it does. And the way we can know that is right there in our King James Bible, the Lord uses the word Christ to replace anointed when he's quoting Psalm 2, verse number 2 in the New Testament in Acts 4.26. And so the Lord, when you see these alterations, some people say, "Well, look at the Bible is contradicting itself." Uh, no, the Lord's giving you more light on the subject. He's helping you to understand what it is that He means when He says Christ, and when people say, "You know, the Christ is the Anointed One," He's helping you know that's that's a fact. Matter of fact, that's how you know it. So it's against His Anointed, which is His Christ. Uh, another example, Luke eight or Leviticus rather Leviticus 18 verse 25 and verse 28. I'll read it, read them for you again. And the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Leviticus eighteen twenty-eight. He says that the land spew not you out also when you defile it as it spewed out the nations that were before you. So in one place he says the land vomiteth out her inhabitants, and then the next place he's talking about the land spewing out uh, the people. And you will probably recognize the word "spew" from Revelation three sixteen, where the Lord's going to spew the lukewarm Laodiceans out of His mouth. And um, I've heard him say, you know, uh, you know, the Greek word for uh, "spew" means vomit. Well, I got news for you: uh, the English word means vomit as well. You don't have to go back to the Greek to discover what it means. Just pay close attention to your English. And in uh, the English, in Leviticus 18, verse 25, the Lord identifies the word spew as meaning vomit. As he replaces the word vomit with spew the next time he's making reference to that same thing. And then one more, uh, which will give us actually two examples, but one more for good measure. uh, The way the Lord does things with his uh, book for us. Exodus chapter 13, verses 2 and 12. Exodus 13, 2 says, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. And then in verse 12 he says that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that. And, and I'll I'll stop there because we're going to get into the next one. But where one place he says sanctify, the other place he says set apart. So Again you've heard people say well sanctify means to set apart. How do we know that? You know it from Exodus 13:2 and Exodus 13:12. Sanctify unto me all the firstborn whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel both of man and of beast it is mine. Exodus 13:12 that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast the male shall be the Lord's. So he gives you two uh, here as I said not only does he show you that sanctify means set apart, he also shows you that matrix, in in this context, means womb. For he talks about whatsoever openeth the womb in verse two, and and all that openeth the matrix in verse number twelve. So again, with this in mind, and with this pattern that the Lord has and precedent, that he sets of of identifying or defining words by uh, replacement. Let's go back to Second Kings chapter. Uh, 17 and let's, um, fill in our two columns and in verse number in 2 Kings 17, verse 35, uh, the Lord's going to be telling these folks some things as he gives them the charge, some things that they're not to do in this covenant that he's making with them. So he says first with whom the Lord had made a covenant and that whom is, uh, Israel, Jacob, whom he named Israel in verse 34, it says, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, ye shall not. So here's some things not to do. A lot of times when the Lord's given us instructions, it starts with a thou shalt not. Ye shall not fear them saying, or, or he, sh- he charged them saying, Ye shall not fear other gods. Right? So they weren't to fear other gods. And let's write down under that first column, first word you want to write down is the word fear. Ye shall not fear other gods. Verse 35, you shall not fear other gods, nor bow yourselves to them. So write down the word uh, bow. Number one would be fear. Number two, bow. And then number three, he says, nor serve them. So write down the word serve, nor sacrifice to them. And then number four, you write down the word sacrifice. So these are things that are not to do. And and as the Lord has things we're not to do, uh, he also has things that we are to do and so the next verse verse 36 is going to talk about the things that they are supposed to do. he's going to charge them to do other, uh, certain things in verse number 35. and so in verse 35 he's or verse 36 rather in verse 36 he says, "But the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt with great power uh, with great power and a stretched out arm, him shall ye fear All right you are to fear the Lord." not other gods. You fear fear the Lord. So you write down in the column where you have verse 36, write down number one, fear. And then he says, and him shall ye worship. So you write down number two, the word worship. And to him shall ye do sacrifice. And then you write down number three, the word uh, sacrifice. So some years ago, as I was reading these verses, I began to notice some similarity between the elements in the two verses. And I began to look closer at it. And I noticed that the list began with the same elements and they ended with the same elements. The list in verse 35 begins with fear, even though he's telling them not to do that verse 36, he's first thing he tells them to do is to fear, uh, the Lord. And then the in verse 35 ended with sacrifice and they weren't to sacrifice to the other gods, but they were to sacrifice to the Lord at the end of verse 36. So notice those matched up. And as I began to look in the middle, I noticed the the, the elements in the middle did not match up. And where I would have expected them to align, I found two words in verse 35, and then one word in verse 36. And so what God did is he replaced the two words of verse 35 with just that one word in verse 36. And then the light began to come on. And I realized what the Lord had done was in order to teach us what the middle word of verse 36 was all about. He, he used the two words in verse 35. And, and what I understood was that when God was saying, you shouldn't worship the Lord, in ver- or you should worship the Lord, you shouldn't worship the other gods. Uh, or, or bow and serve the other gods he was he was instructing us that the word worship the essence of what it is is those two things in verse 35. it's bowing and serving serving that's what worshiping is about so he tells them all right you shall not fear other gods nor bow yourselves nor serve them nor sacrifice but you shall fear the lord worship and sacrifice so worship the essence of worship is those two things it's bowing and serving and a comparison of these two verses defines and then fixes for us in its most basic form. It's the most rudimentary elements of the thing as uh, worship is to bow and to serve and whether you worship the false gods of the heathen or the true God of the Bible, your worship consists of, of spending time bowing before that God or those false gods as well as spending time serving the true God or the false gods. And so for us who worship the true God, if we would worship him truly, we should be sure that we spend time doing both of these elements, both bowing before him and also serving him. Let's consider bowing first, as that's the first thing that's mentioned. Bowing has to do with the idea of, um, of holding God in reverence or, or reverencing him, Uh, our awe that we have, our praise and our humility before the God of creation. It's our wonder, our adoration, uh, our exaltation of the Lord God Almighty. It's when we kneel before him in prayer. It's reading his holy word, the Bible. It's being still and knowing that he is God. Uh, It's repentance and confession and lowliness before the Holy One of Israel. It's you, the creature, really taking your rightful place before God, the creator. It is weakness bowing before omnipotence. That's a student sitting at the feet of the master, the feet of omniscience. It's mortality lying prostrate before the eternal God. It's the saved sinner singing and speaking the praises of his savior. As it's written now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In Psalm 95 in verse six says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Bowing, this is the first ingredient of worship. And then there was serving. Serving is uh, getting busy for God. It's using your talents and your gifts for the glory of God. For some people that involves singing or playing an instrument in church. For some that involves uh, things like uh, helping around the church with the building or the grounds, cleaning the church, maybe mowing uh, the yard, shoveling the snow, uh, fixing uh, something in the building. Uh, For some, it might involve um, more what we would think of as as ministerial type activities, like preaching at a nursing home, um, getting involved in a prison ministry. Um, Some, it might be teaching Sunday school, could be working in the nursery. Uh, For all Christians, there's some things that ought to be, for all Christians, it ought to be witnessing uh, as you serve the Lord, passing out tracts, trying to win people to Christ. Uh, Serving is really answering the call of God in your life. And while you might not, every, everyone might not be called to be in what we call the full-time ministry, everybody is called to be a full-time Christian. And for some, um, they are called into this ministry as a full-time occupation. Uh, for some, they would serve the Lord as a missionary, some a pastor, some an evangelist. Um, for, for some ladies, they may be called to be a, a wife of a pastor or an evangelist or or even a missionary. And serving the Lord really is spending your time, your life, your energy, In the service of the King of Kings, even as the Lord Jesus did, as he said, even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. But this is serving whatever capacity uh, it is part of worship and is the second ingredient in in today's (coughs) recipe or God's description or definition of the essence of worship. Because these two elements bowing and serving properly combined, uh, they yield worship. Because the essence of worship is to bow before the Lord and then to get up and serve him. And then to go back and bow before him again and then to get up and serve him some more. And then to maintain this process as long as the Lord gives you life and breath. And then I imagine we'll maintain it uh, on throughout all of eternity. But the, the reason why it's important to come to grips with this is because there are people who think that, the essence of worship really is only bowing. They think that the essence of worship really is, is just the praise and the exaltation and the adoration, maybe lifting up their hands to God, uh, reverencing, reverencing him or attending a church worship service. And some people think that that alone really is the essence of worship. And then on the other end, you do have people who really think that the essence of worship is just service. They think that what we do for God, getting involved in the ministry, working and laboring for the church or ministering to others, uh, they think that that is the essence of worship, that the essence of worship is just serving the Lord. But the truth that I find unlocked in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 35 and 36, is that true worship involves both. It is not the one to the exclusion of the other. Uh, again, as Jesus said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That involves both of these elements. Consider what Paul said, Romans chapter one, verse nine, another interesting verse, which struck me when I, when it, when it began to grip me, but we think about serving God and we, we think about serving him with our bodies. You know, we yield our bodies to the Lord, right? We yield our members and we serve him with the, these bodies, but Paul makes a statement in Romans one, verse nine. He says, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. In the gospel of his son. Now, Paul certainly was using his body to minister to that gospel, because to do that, you have to open your mouth, um, open a Bible a lot of times. but you got to use that body to tell somebody. But Paul says, I'm serving with my spirit. I'm serving God with my spirit in the gospel of the son. So that shows both elements at play. There's an inside element to it and an outside element. For, for proper worship to take place in your service, you got to have a heart that's right with God. To have a heart that's right with God, you're going to have to spend time with him. Be still. And have some quiet time alone uh, with him. And private worship. And also, you know, exalting him and lifting him up in public worship. But, but you've got to get both of these things. And if all you do is just the one without the other, you're, you don't have the whole package. If all you do is reverence and exalt and stand in awe of God... You are off to a good start, but you're only halfway to your destination. And so to those, if I'm talking to anybody that you have that part down and you love the Lord and you love to worship him and you love to exalt him and give him honor and praise, keep on doing that, but don't stop there. You need to add to that the second ingredient of worship and that's serving him. On the other hand, if um, all you do is serve, 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 and you don't take time to get with the Lord and you don't take time to worship, you likewise only got half the equation because the whole equation is this bowing plus serving equals worship. You know, in Luke chapter 10, we find two ladies that many of you will no doubt be familiar with. Their names are Mary and Martha. In each of these ladies, we find half of our equation. Uh, Mary, she had the first half. Uh, she sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Martha, uh, she had the second half. Uh, she served. If one person would combine both of these elements, he would properly worship the Lord. Um, some some folks tend to be Mary's. Some folks tend to be Martha's. Some folks are, are more tuned into sitting at Jesus' feet and spending time with him. Others are more tuned into service. But you but you got to have both. Um, old, a preacher from years gone by used to say about uh, Mary and Martha, he said, what we need are we need some Mary Marthas. And then I actually met a preacher who uh, named his daughter uh, Mary Martha, uh, no doubt, to get the combo of both of them. And and that's, that's the idea. You want them both. And if you examine the story of Mary and Martha there in Luke chapter 10, you're going to see that Mary sitting at Jesus' feet is listed first. And Martha serving is listed second. And the order is telling, and it's the same order that we find in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 35, because he mentions the bowing before the serving. You shall not fear other gods, nor bow yourselves to them, nor serve them. And then again, of course, replacing it with, uh, in verse 36, with about the Lord, him shall ye worship. But the bowing comes before the serving, because that's a proper order, and it's so important because The bowing before the Lord in reverence, the adoration and prayer, the sitting at his feet and feeding on his word, the maintenance of a proper relation with God. That's what gives you the power to serve him and to serve him well. And those that serve, 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 and don't sit at Jesus' feet, they face certain dangers. Um, In Luke chapter 10, verse 40, I mean, Martha's pulling her hair out. And I'm going to actually go there and just read you a little bit of that passage. Luke chapter 10. And then I'll begin in verse number 40, Luke 10 and verse 40. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath let me to serve alone? Bitter therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her before you get up and serve, one thing's needful, Martha, um, you need to sit down. And if you've got to take a choice between the two, you stop and you get your strength. You sit at Jesus' feet and you hear his word, and then you get up and serve. There'll always be time to get up and, and serve. I say always, I understand that our time runs out sometime, but but uh, in the in the course of, of a day when you've gotten a lot of amount of time, um, the, the service will tend to take care of itself. You're going to have to prioritize sitting at his feet, a la Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So look at what, and, and you look at this, Martha, because she did not sit at Jesus' feet, uh, she was, when I picture, I picture it's like pulling her hair out, you know, uh, Martha was cumbered about my serving. And, and, and then because of that, she began to question the Lord's care for for her because she said, "Lord dost thou not care? And a lot of people that serve and serve and serve they get thinking like that and then they get critical of their um, brothers and sisters in Christ. and she got critical of her sister and she says, "Lord dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone?" And she's telling on her sister there, criticizing her. And then she starts telling the Lord what to do, Martha does. And she says, bid her therefore that she help me. <laughs> and Jesus had to rebuke her and uh, put her in her place. And I hope, Mar- hope Martha uh, got it. Um, and uh, whether or not she did, I hope you get it. You know, Martha had worked herself into a bad place spiritually. And she she became overly burdened, careful. The idea of being full of care, troubled about many things. And really Martha was on the verge of what a lot of people are on the verge of that do what she did. And she faced what all that serve and serve without sitting at the feet of Jesus face. Uh, She was in danger of burnout, burning out. There's a statement that's made, been been made by different preachers and different Christians throughout the years. And it goes uh, like this. I'd rather burn out than rust out. And I understand the sentiment of that, but really who says it has to be one or the other? Cause whether you burn out or rust out, you're still out and it'd be better just to stay in the battle, fighting the good fight of faith as long as possible. And to do that, uh, I've learned from the scriptures and we learn from the scriptures, uh, that I've got to balance my spiritual life by properly combining bowing and serving. I've, I've heard, I, I could think of a preacher who made a mess of things in his life and, um, you know, God had lots of opportunities to preach uh, prior to that, especially. And uh, when he made a mess and things came out, um, he he made a statement about the things and and just he took ownership of, of what he how he made a mess. And he said the mistake that he made was he kept going and going and serving and serving the Lord and he didn't take time to stop and, and really get along with God like he should have. And that leads to uh, burning out, and it leads to uh, making a mess of things. And you can sense Martha in the passage on the verge of that. And maybe I'm talking to somebody, you sense yourself on the verge of that. Well, I don't say quit serving God. I say make sure that you're spending enough time getting along with Jesus and uh, sitting at his feet. And so the proper order is bowing, then serving. Sit at his feet, then uh, then get up and serve him. This proper order of things, it's also reminiscent of the order of the first and second commandments as given by Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. uh, When he said in verse 37, beginning there, uh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The first commandment was your personal relationship with God. Love God, all your heart, soul, mind. Get that in order. And then your second, uh, your second priority, the second commandment, first commandment was loving the Lord. Second commandment had to do with your relationship with, uh, people. So the relationship with God first, the relationship with people second. And I don't know if you ever noticed it, but that's how the 10 commandments are laid out. The first four dealing with your relationship with God and the last six dealing with your relationship with others. So let me, let's take, um, let me take you one other place here and uh, well, actually, it's going to be one other th- thing I want to talk about, but, but it's going, you're going to have to go to two places to see it. And so I'd like you to get Revelation chapter 2 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And there's some more instruction by comparison here, and it pertains to our topic at hand. Revelation chapter 2 and then 1 Thessalonians Chapter number one. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul is commending the church at uh, Thessalonica. And in verse number three, he says, we are bound to thank God always for you, uh, brethren, as it is meet, because it's your faith growth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all aboundeth uh, toward each other. So so they're getting some uh, commendation. Uh, from, I'm sorry, I'm reading second Thessalonians uh, First Thessalonians chapter one. That was good too, though wasn't it? First Thessalonians chapter one verse three, remembering without faith, remember, remember without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. So you see there um, work and you see labor and you see patience. Revelation chapter two, the first church that the Lord addresses, has John address is the church at Ephesus. And he says in Revelation chapter two, uh, verse number two, he says to them, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted nevertheless I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love so you're familiar with this or or if not uh, I trust you'll become familiar with it but this is where ephesus messed up uh, they left their first love if I just read if, if if I'm looking at this thing and I just read verse 2 and verse number three and I, and I don't know verse 4 is there and I stop I'm thinking this is a pretty good church but in verse 4 the Lord you know, changed changes things with certain ominous tones and words saying, I've got somewhat against thee. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And he told them they needed to repent and get this thing in order quickly or else he's going to come and remove thy, their candlestick out of their place. Candlestick's the church. So it's like the church is on the verge of just being junked by the Lord if they don't get these things in order. So what they had here in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 2, is they had works. And if, again, if you want to continue to take notes, you could write, make an, make in the first column, another heading, uh, Ephesus, the second column, another heading Thessalonica. And the first thing you'd write is, uh, works where he says, I know thy works. And then the second thing is, uh, and thy labor labor. Third thing is Patience. And then the fourth thing at the end, he says, um, uh, for my namesake, not quite quite at the end, but he says, and how about Kent's not, uh, actually it's verse number three, and hast born and has patience and for my namesake has labored. So in Revelation chapter two, you've got those four things. Now the church at Thessalonica, we saw they had the the, uh, mention of work, labor, and patience. Let's get the distinctions. First Thessalonians one three, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Notice the distinction. It's a work of faith, and it's a work singular of faith, whereas the church at Ephesus had works plural. Which reminds me, or helps to me to understand, which is something you probably already learned by experience. I learned it by experience before I read it in the scriptures. Because one work of faith will accomplish. A lot more than many works after the flesh. Oh, many, if you just work again, you're working and working in your own strength and power, you're not going to get as much done as if you get alone with the Lord and, and you're doing His work, a work of faith. So there's that difference. And then the next thing that uh, the church at Ephesus had was uh, labor. I know thy works and thy labor. Thessalonica had that also, <clears throat> but notice what's said about their labor remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. So they had a labor, but theirs was a labor of love. Ephesus also had patience. The Lord acknowledged that, but the church at Thessalonica had patience of hope. So what the church of Thessalonica had that the church at Ephesus no longer had is something that no doubt church of Ephesus had at the beginning when they had their first love, having left their first love, they continued going through the motions. The machine was still operating, but without oil. And that's, that's a danger of something burning out right there. They had the outward, but they didn't have the inward. And the things that the church at Thessalonica had, those saints there, they had the inward, not just the outward or outer work, but it was motivated by an inward relationship and reality with their walk with the Lord of faith. They had not only a labor, but one that was motivated from the inside, a labor of love. And they not only had the patience, but it was one that was a patience of hope, not just, okay, well, we gotta do this because we gotta do it. But but there was something on the inside, there was a hope on the inside, uh, moving them and motivating them. Having left their first love, Revelation in Revelation chapter two, Ephesus did not have those things. Notice what they're missing: faith, hope, and love. And of course we we see the parallel to these three things of faith, hope, and charity. But again, charity charity is is also those two elements. Charity is not just the outward working, because he said, I could give all my goods to feed the poor. That's that's what we generally think of charity. So I give all my goods to feed the poor and have not charity. You can do a charitable work without having charity. Charity is the is the works on the outside, but it's again motivated by the the right relationship, and the love, the genuine love on the inside. So it's a combination of those two things. And then the other thing I'll point out is in Revelation 2, verse 3, it was the Lord saying, And hast born, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored. And there is a distinction in First Thessalonians 1, verse 3, where it says that they had these things, the work of faith, the labor of love, the patience of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, so as opposed to doing it for His name's sake, they they did it in the Lord, and it, and it's the, the it's a, it's splitting hairs, but they're spiritual hairs and living by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. But the difference is this: whereas in Revelation, it's like the Lord Jesus had become the object of what they were were doing, the object of their activity. In Thessalonica, he was the origin of that activity. And the distinction was, again, that things sprung from within and then manifest themselves without. And, and in, at Ephesus, they just were serving him on the outside. Everything was in order, but it was on the outside. And so they were missing that key element, and they were in danger of becoming like the Pharisees who made a good Outward, fair show in the flesh, but inside they are full of dead men's bones. So if you want to have things in order, if you want to have true worship, it's not just serving, but it's bowing. And it's not just bowing, but it's bowing and serving. And with those two things, you can keep yourself going right with the Lord, serving him till Jesus comes. And that's a good thing.
1: Amen. Thank you, Pastor Strobel. Amen. Guys, what do you think?
3: Well, uh, I
4: don't mean to jump in here real quick, but um, I always like things that are simple. Uh, and uh, showing those verses there in, in, uh, in King's, of how those words mesh together and how they, how the Lord defines it for us. Uh, you know, we make things so complicated and try to, try to, uh, you know, outthink God. And God's always simple. Always think of that verse when we talk about simplicity. As you know, where it says there, I believe in Second Corinthians it mm-hmm. says, "I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety." So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And that same simplicity—I don't think God tries to complicate things as far as worship is concerned either. And uh, you know that bowing down—you uh, know—it just rings a chord with me because you know I, I like to observe and see what what others are doing and see how it lines up with the, with the scriptures and so forth. And I see so many people that are trying to and this is probably a common theme, you've probably heard me say this many times, but they try to evoke emotion as as being worship when instead, you know, that bowing down, that, that humbling of your heart, your spirit before God is probably more important than, than trying to evoke some emotion to demonstrate to others that you're, quote, worshiping. And, uh, you know... <laughs> I, I see it more as a as a condition of the heart and an acknowledgement of of who we are in relationship to him. And then once you've got the right understanding of who you are in relationship to him and what he deserves, then service is just an outcome of that. Uh, you know, the love of Christ Amen. constraineth us. Yep. and that's you know kind of putting both of those things together that. Amen humility of our of our own selves and then uh, the outflow of that humility is uh man i owe him everything man i serve him serve the lord with gladness and so forth so i appreciate
3: the study that's good amen
1: amen but you man
3: yeah man that was a. Uh that was a great study. Um, you know, there's just so many things in that study. It's hard to (laughs) comment. Uh, but you know, what came to my mind was, uh, first Corinthians chapter three, verse 11 and all that, where it's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And, you know, the bottom line is when everything's said and done, uh, did we really worship the Lord, you know? And and I think that was great, you know, bowing and then, um, and then serving. And, I think you know the first the bowing you know having to humble yourself like Pastor Strobel said and and uh, and it all starts with that foundation and you know in verse eleven there in First Corinthians three eleven it says for other foundation can no man lay than that uh, is laid which is Jesus Christ and you know talking about all the things that we build our life on now that we're saved uh, it's got to be you know the whole foundation it has to be Jesus Christ and you know I think a lot of people just say well that's just getting saved and, and that's true but. I think it can go a lot further than that. I think the foundation is not just salvation, but then it goes forward. And um, as my father-in-law just said, too, there that, uh, you know, once you realize, wow, I I mean, what he's done for me, uh, then everything we do has to be bathed in that. You know, it just has to be all about because of what he's done for us. And and then it goes down at the end of verse 13 and says, um, the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And I think if, uh, you know, I think there's truly a lot of people, and I've done it, you know, I'm sure probably every Christian has done it uh, many times, and that's you're serving the Lord, and then all of a sudden, the Lord either through a message or through your Bible reading or prayer or whatever, uh, you kind of wake up and you're like, wow, I'm serving, but, but am I, you know, first bowing, you know, my first Really, is this is this because of the love that I have for him and because I'm worshiping him truly, or is it just because this is just you know, you kind of get in the swing of things and it just becomes a habit? And, um, and that's good, you know, to addict yourself to the ministry, the Bible says, and, and do the things for the Lord. But, but definitely those two things, bowing in and serving, that's that's a blessing. So, thank you, Amen.
1: And I know that yeah. as, as you were given that lesson, Greg and I were here talking about how much we like these kind of things its very visual, you know, as we made those columns and put those charts, mm-hmm. put those words, you know, f- uh, fear bow, serve sacrifice and compared it to uh second King 1736, fear the Lord, worship and sacrifice. And you can, you can see that. And I, you know, I've read through this before. I didn't see that before. <laughs> so it's amazing to me. What's, what's in the Bible. I mean, the things that are there that are just like, you know, and as a, I know, we've all had this experience. As you read through, it's like I didn't see that before, and uh, I don't know if I would have seen this anytime soon. But amen. I, I appreciate you uh, showing it because it's a great lesson, and it's one that uh, one that I won't forget anytime soon.
6: Amen. So, amen. How about you, Joel? Mm, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, great. So, first of all, I have to say it's really weird to comment on this because <laughs> I have listened to almost all the podcasts and I always you know enjoy the comments at the end and see see what everyone else says uh, and now it's actually live so it's it's an odd feeling to be participating yeah I kept trying to hit the pause button as we were going <laughs> then realized no it's, you can't pause it <laughs> <laughs> so and, uh, yeah I just wanted to reiterate um, what what Brother Steve said about the the lesson here, because um, when I heard the essence of worship, I was really curious uh, what what he was going to come out with because I feel like this term worship is uh, especially the way it is used nowadays in modern Christianity. It's a very ambiguous term. You're not really sure what people are talking about. and so I was curious where he was going to go with it and and I agree wholeheartedly. It was uh, refreshing to see it um, simplified down to just a very uh, simple, practical terms bow and serve. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, suddenly it's not so confusing anymore when you Amen. put it like that.
1: Well, Pastor Strobel, thanks again.
6: Amen. Amen.
1: And Joel, when when are we looking forward to something? On uh, is it evolution, creation, or worldview, or what? What are we looking at?
6: You know, uh, all of the above, I guess. Okay, you know, it's uh, we just just a biblical look at the topic, and um, it doesn't need to be anytime uh, immediate. We, yeah, I'd still kind of like to get the hang of things and see how you guys do it and it certainly has been a blessing to participate this time
1: sure we're glad to have you and uh, steve's not holding back so this is what we do right steve
4: (laughs) (laughs) i'm being polite right now i'll i'll (laughs) I'll get more comfortable later but uh, (laughs) i just i i just enjoy you know hearing other people's uh uh take on things you know um you know, we get kind of uh, used to ourselves, and and kind of know what—not not exactly what everybody's going to say, but but still have you know, with the fellowship that we've had over the years and so forth, and doing these podcasts, we've kind of got an idea where where everybody's going to come from, and it's it's kind of neat to hear uh, other people's uh, impression,
1: perspective, of, yeah, uh, yeah
4: uh, you know what what goes on and and so forth, and. And um, I, I really enjoy just hearing, you know, the podcast. You know, we get to hear it live. Most of the time, it's, it's a live thing. Uh, you know, Pastor Strobel didn't record this beforehand, and he was doing it actually live. And, and I know what that's like to do that live and, and uh, uh, you know, just to, to know that, you know, anything you say is like, recorded <laughs> <you
2: know? laughs>
4: and uh to to be able to present that kind of a lesson as succinctly as he did and and uh to be able to put it in, in a way that we could understand it is always a, a blessing you know i guess one other thing that that i would say is that worship is one of those things that's very first of all it's personal but people are very defensive about their worship um uh, Most people know that we're still renting uh, from a facility, and they're one of the uh, old—it's an Episcopal church and so forth, and and, uh, they're very uh, regimented in their worship, and they think that that regimentation is the worship uh, instead of what comes from the heart. And, uh, you know, then you have another group, as we were already alluding to, that that in modern Christianity, they're more geared toward emotion. Some uh, feel like they have to really get people jazzed up in the music in order for them to be able to come to a point of worship. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, like I said, it's all based on emotion, uh, where, you know, it, it's more like Pastor Strobel already in, indicated. It's, you know, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. You know that where that comes from is is John chapter four, and in John chapter four there was a woman that was arguing with the Lord about worship, and uh, you know we worship in this mountain and so forth and so on, and of course Jesus Christ rebukes her and says you know not what you worship, uh, you know and so forth. Then comes up with the with the verse that they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and truth, and uh, you know the the worship of god is is paramount in our relationship with him and again that whole thing about bowing down uh, is is absolutely necessary uh, to be able to to get a hold of who he is so that we could worship him in spirit and in truth so again praise the lord for you guys coming along and uh, being with us and uh, look forward to maybe some return visits and so forth and uh, praise the Lord. Good job.
2: And let me just add one thing, just for perspective from my standpoint. One of the things that really I found important about this, this thing, and I had noticed this truth sometime before I ever began to formulate it into any sort of a message or a study. But about the time I was getting ready to do it as a study, one thing that really hit me as as actually a preaching message, I think, first of all, but one thing that really hit me was I I, I see and I'm aware of, a lot of the modern church worship, and, they, and again, we tend to call Sunday morning service the worship service, but some of these folks get together not only in church, but some of them at their concerts or whatever, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. everybody gets into this place where they're excited and they feel good, and sometimes it's not always wild and crazy. Sometimes it's it's uh, somber, and and sometimes it's just, uh, again, very emotional, but they're excited, their hands are waving and their arms raised to God, and they're praising the Lord and there's nothing wrong with praise on the lord right but but what bothered me is some people think that because they've done that that they have worshiped they've completed yes. their worship and that's all there is to their christian life yes. and so it's important to know that that that's only a part and now you got to go out you need you need to serve him Amen. Then, as, then, as I got a hold of that, and I, I was well aware of, and saw how the other end of it is a danger as well, because you got the people that run themselves to the ground crazy, mm-hmm. and they don't take that time, and and again, that's it's amazing. Like you said, what the Lord's got in that book. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, guys, again, thank you for putting that uh, together, Pastor Strobel, and. And guys, thanks for joining. I know that each one of us, you know, we have our own lives. We're doing other things and uh, along with ministry and everything else that you're doing and and your jobs, you're able to still come here and and set aside some time to do this podcast. And and I appreciate it. And I think from what we've heard that other folks do too. So, amen. Uh, All right, Lord willing, we'll see you again soon. Steve, no parting words. <laughs> well, who's
4: up next then?
1: Um, let me see. I, I did the last one before Pastor Strobel. Music, God's gift, or Satan's tool. Who was that? That was Matt. That was Matt. And then we had discipleship. That was you, Steve. So I think you're next. I am? Mm-hmm. All right. And then we'll squeeze in. He sounds worried. We'll come up with something. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll recruit Joel when he's ready.
6: Amen. Sounds good.
1: All right, guys. Take care. We'll see you next time. Lord willing.
0: soon. Will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous be in down. the skies. Go where going, where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon. Good morning or night or noon. Many will, Many will meet there. their doom. Trumpets, will, Trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. In the skies going where no one dies heaven we
1: This
2: has been a production of That's in the Bible at that's in the Bible.com.